I want to start uh, this message. There's actually four verses that we're going to get to, um, and then one passage in 1 Peter. Uh, but today we're going to talk about fear. Um, and fear is one word, but we, you can use anxiety or worry um, in, in the same context. And the reason I want to uh, talk about that this morning is one is uh, it's something that I've been, I've deal with a little bit personally, but also with just uh, mentoring people, counseling people through. I honestly, I didn't realize it was such a big issue until probably three or four years ago of how many people deal with this. Um, whether it be just my personality and my easygoing uh, attitude, whatever it is, I guess I, I didn't realize that it's more common uh, than what I previously thought. And mom, since you're here, uh, I'm going to embarrass my mom a little bit. Um, and I got a few pictures to throw up here. Uh, so Luke, let's go through these. Does anybody know what this is? This is a My Buddy doll. And when I talk about fear, this is one of the first times I remember being afraid. Hollywood did something cruel and took one of the most popular toys at the time and turned it into a horror movie. Uh, and for me, I, you know, I was like, Mom, this thing's got to go. This Buddy doll, it's not staying around. I don't know if it's turning into a crazy murderer at night, whatever it is. Uh, but I have got to get rid of this thing. And that's one of the first times I really remember being scared. Uh, the next one is I was afraid to stay the night with friends. And this is typically what a, a night at friends looked like. PlayStation, Blockbuster, Domino's Pizza. It looks great. That looks like a blast at this point. I'm like, man, I wish I could go back. But for some reason, I was afraid to stay at people's house. I don't know what I thought would go wrong. Um, but I was just afraid to be away from my family, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the next one... The Millennium Force. I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I did not ride a roller coaster like this until I think I was 18 or 19. And to give you a little bit of background on that, um, this is partially my mom's fault too, uh, is she does not ride roller coasters. So growing up, I was afraid of roller coasters because my mom didn't ride roller coasters. My dad did, but he was a little bit crazier. Um, so I grew up just going to the shows, you know, going to see the BMX riders, the, the trampoline, the water shows. That's what I went to do. And maybe if things got crazy, I would go on the mine ride uh, or even maybe the uh, Iron Dragon. Eventually, I had to face this, though, because I started dating a girl who later became my wife, and she did not know that I was afraid of roller coasters, and I was not about to uh, look scared in front of her so we go to Cedar Point and I'm dreading this the whole way and knowing that I am going to be scared to death and the Millennium Force usually had about an hour to two hour wait and I'm waiting in line trying to hide the fact that I'm scared to death about what's going to happen um, but I did get on and you know everybody screams when they go down the hill uh, I did not scream because even on the ride I was still trying to look manly so when you're going down the hill I just did a long that was me going down the hill. I didn't scream or anything. I was still trying to look tough. Uh, and then the next one, getting pulled over. It seemed like any time a cop was behind me, they were obviously I was doing something wrong. Um, and a teenager with the car that I had, I probably was. I got pulled over so many times for a loud exhaust um, when I was about 19. Uh, so it seemed like every time a cop got behind me, I was getting pulled over. Uh, so that was something I always feared. It's like any time a cop's out there, obviously they're out to get me. Uh, then last one is flying. I, I had not flown. It's like this weird time in my life, like 19 to 22, 23. I had to face a lot of fears. 
and uh, this is one I had to face because I got a job at Geico Insurance and I had to fly to Georgia for training. Uh, and I had to get on a plane by myself and face that fear. And it, it actually wasn't too bad. I got to sleep most of the way there. Those are some of the things that I've dealt with before. I, I'm past those. I'm over those. Um, I'm still not getting a buddy doll. Uh, but I'll go to Cedar Point and ride the Millennium Force. All that's fine. My fears have changed a little bit since then. So there, there's a couple things that I fear today. These are things that I struggle with. Um, that I'm not saying that I'm right by these or anything. It's just something I'm still working on. Uh, one of those is money. I fear that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. I've been through situations where I haven't been able to provide for my family. So I don't want to go through that again. So that's one of my fears is what's going to happen in the future. I don't know. Um, so I always have to keep reminding myself um, and continue fighting that fear. The second thing is, and I'm sorry, those are pretty small, uh, is parenting. Am I raising Reagan and our soon-to-be baby the way I should? Am I teaching her the things that she needs to be taught? Am I raising her in a way that is going to introduce her to Jesus? Um, and sometimes I don't know when she's a two-year-old and she begins acting crazy sometimes. Uh, but that's something that I, I have a fear of. What does the future look like for my kid? Am I doing my part to raise her the way I should? And then the third thing here is I fear um, mortality or death or losing someone I love. Whether it be through cancer, because cancer goes through our family like crazy, or um, freak accidents, I don't know. I, I fear losing people, uh, and that's something that I deal with pretty often. So those are things that I deal with. I want to show you a few uh, statistics of things that we all struggle with. And I know that we all struggle with it because I come in contact with a lot of people. Um, and also, you can look at surveys and statistics on uh, what people are getting um, counseled for. One of the things I found out is that out of the top 10 verses on BibleStudyTools.com, four out of the top 10 verses addressed fear. So 40% of all the most popular verses that are looked up have to do with fear. Let me go through those real quick. I'm going to take me a second to uh, find them. Psalm 23 is an easy one. Um, you guys all know that. I don't want to read the whole chapter. Uh, but that, that's the one that starts off with, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay, lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. You guys know that one. Uh, and then a part of that, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You know that verse. That's one of the most popular ones in there. Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then also Isaiah 41.10. Sorry, I'm trying to jump around as quick as I can. Uh, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, and then also Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. So those four verses all deal with fear, and those are the four out of the top ten verses on BibleStudyTools.com. Anxiety and fear is normal, and it um, seems as if nearly all of us have dealt with it at some point. Um, since this is such a common thing, we need to see what God's Word has to say about this. Um, we look to His Word for answers, and we look to His Word to provide those answers, Something I found interesting in, in looking up statistics and percentages, that kind of stuff, and I, I don't always put a whole lot of uh, weight on these things, but 
um, they are relevant, and I feel like I can relate to some of them, and I feel like you could too. Um, for millennials, it uh, should be maybe the next slide. 40% of millennials have fears related to money and careers. I'm a millennial, and I know a lot of people talk bad about millennials, but uh, we're a very driven generation. We're very driven by um, moving up the ladder of, as far as our careers. We're very goal-oriented. And one of the things that millennials have fears of are related to money and careers. Part of that has to do with uh, the way our economy has moved, um, the cost of college, and the rising amount of debt that people graduate with. All those play into this um, statistics of 40% of people in millennial generation have fears related to that. But according to psychologists, and I, I, I got a few references and quotes from Psychology Today, which is not a Christian publication at all, uh, but I, one of the things I found in there are very interesting when you go at those um, statements with a biblical worldview. So according to psychologists, we're born with only two fears. One is the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. What does that mean for us? It's that everything except those two fears we've developed over time uh, for whatever reason. And fears are sometimes good, though. Sometimes fears keep us alive. I know for uh, those of you who have had young boys and you know that they're fearless, you know that they're harder to keep alive because they don't have enough fear in them. Uh, but we develop fears as we age. And the most common fear in adults is one that's called ego death. Ego death's definition uh, should come up here is the fear of humiliation, shame, or any other mechanism of profound self-disapproval that threatens the loss of integrity of the self, the fear of the shattering of disintegration of one's constructed sense of lovability, capability, and worthiness. When we talk about ego death, I think maybe some of you could begin relating with fears. Uh, maybe it's not always roller coasters. Maybe it's not always um, those, those threats of mortality. Maybe it's things like this, um, lovability, capability, and worthiness. And also, uh, this past week, um, I put a post on Facebook asking people, what are you afraid of? And almost every, I think, every response except one would relate to ego death. So just confirms kind of uh, what Psychology Today was um, saying on their website. So ego death is one of, the, it is the most common type of fear in adults. So let's get to the Bible portion of this and see what the Bible says about it. Did you know that the statements like, do not be afraid or fear not, it actually occurs over 300 times? And depending on the translation, it could be upwards of 365. Maybe that's just a coincidence. Um, but I think that there's a possibility that God might know that we're going to face fears every day. And he has given us um, scripture to fight that. And we've already seen the most popular verses are ones that address fears we have. So let's go to 1 Peter. And it's going to be chapter 5. Uh, verses 5 through 11. Hopefully you can read that. If not, I'm reading out of the ESV version. Um, I think the Bibles in our um, seats are New Living Translation. It'll be very similar. Might have a few things that are different. Uh, but I want to read through these verses real quick. And this is the same Peter who earlier in the Bible has denied Christ. This is the same Peter that we know throughout Jesus' life on earth. And he has dealt with some issues, um, like fear of even admitting that he knew Jesus. 
Um, he had fear of man. He had a fear, a type of ego death um, that we deal with today. But this is an older Peter. This is an older Peter writing. And some of you know that when you get older, you begin to say things that maybe you didn't want to say when you were younger because you're not, you don't really care anymore. You don't care what other people might think as much. So this is the kind of Peter we're talking about. Uh, this is one who has been through a lot of issues, um, dealt with situations, and he's a more wise uh, Peter than what we knew earlier in the New Testament. So let's read 1 Peter 5, uh, 5 through 11. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I think all of you parents would like that part of the verse. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble, your, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then verse 7 is where I want you to either highlight, write down, make a note, because this is one, going to be a really important one for you if, the, if fear is something you're dealing with. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your fears on him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, or seeking someone to devour. So we know that the devil, Satan, and the demonic realm is out to get us. Um, that's not something new that's been going on um, since 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Um, there was a time when I thought, the devil doesn't care about me. Like, I'm just one person. Why would he care about messing me up? There's billions of people to worry about. And I am not high in that totem pole. Why would he mess with me? But the truth is, uh, whether it be Satan himself or our flesh that we're battling, he will use those fears that we've developed um, to work against us. And then verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. That end of that verse put perspective for me that, yeah, maybe I don't think I'm the most special Christian in the world. But God's word says that it doesn't matter because every single Christian is going through the same things that I am. I am being sought out by Satan, um, and he's looking to devour each and every one of us. So now that we've gotten through that part, um, we know that this is an older, wiser Peter. And some of you may have someone like that in your life right now. Or maybe when you were a teenager, you had someone in your life that was older than you that, that was helping you through, giving you some wisdom to work through things that you're going through. I know I had someone like that, and she was actually uh, one of our youth group leaders or uh, sponsors, whatever you want to call them. Uh, she was one of the ladies who really kept things in line. Uh, that's, I don't know any other way to put it, but her name was Sue, and Sue Noblet, um, if any of you know her, she was encouraging to me, and still is to this day. I went to Bible college for one year. I went to North Carolina, right about Raleigh. Um, I can't even remember the name of the little town we were in, but it was right there in North Carolina, and I moved away for one year and came back. Uh, for various reasons. Uh, the main reason is I just didn't feel like that's where God wanted me. Um, and I was questioning a lot of things at that point. But when I came back, everything that I had worked for for the last at least year, two years more, 
um, all the goals that I had set to move away, go get a college degree uh, for biblical studies, everything went away. I didn't know what I was going to do um, after that. I had to go back home, try to find another job and figure out what my path was going to be after that. And I know some people go through that when they get home from college, whether it be not being able to find a job that they studied for, um, or maybe they go through a situation like mine where you didn't even finish and I need to figure out what you're going to do. So when I came back, uh, we, I had issues leaving the, the college with um, different beliefs that I had uh, compared to what they were teaching, uh, but then also going through um, different situations at uh, our church, I ended up not going there anymore, and I was trying to figure out my purpose. I was bouncing around church to church, um, mainly in Mansfield, Ontario, and I was going to these churches by myself. Cassie was away at college um, in Michigan, and I began to work back at the car dealership. It was called Whitey's then, but it, now it's Mansfield Motor Group. Um, I was a mechanic, and I, was, I had no idea where I was headed. I was just trying to make some money, have fun on the weekends, doing, you know, whether it be drag racing cars on Park Avenue or, or going out on a boat, riding dirt bikes. Honestly, it was just day to day, just trying to figure out, you know, God had led me on a path of ministry. Um, that's no longer the case anymore, so where do I go from here? But I got a call from Sue um, because she kind of noticed this trend. She kind of noticed um, that I wasn't going to church as much as I used to or, or that I even should have. And she got a, or I got a call from her and said, hey, we need to talk. Um, and she ended up coming over to my house, uh, my parents' house, and uh, we talked for at least an hour, maybe more. Um, and she was going through some of the similar things as far as questioning what her purpose was. But she reminded me of a few things. She came to encourage me, um, but also challenge me. And she was the type of person like this older Peter now that was willing to say whatever. Like she, didn't, she did not care one bit if I was going to be offended when she got there. But she reminded me of my calling because, you see, Sue was there at church camp when I um, got, I felt like God was calling me to ministry of some sort. She was there that night and she saw the, the emotions that I was going through. Honestly, I was probably very fearful. I was crying on the altar um, like, man, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I feel like God's telling me to. And then she had lots of talks with me afterwards, too. So Sue was there to see all of that. So she reminded me of my calling. But she also reminded me of the responsibility that came with that calling. And that also included a fight with Satan himself. And at that time, I feel like Satan was getting the, the best of me. I, I was fearful of what my future was. Um, I was beginning to just go and do whatever uh, I felt like, and you see some people say preachers have a target on their backs, and I think that's even been said in, in church here before, and that's true. I, I believe um, pastors have a target on their families and their backs, but according to scripture here in First Peter, you don't have to be a pastor or a preacher to have a target on your back. So each and every one of you that are sitting in here today and even watching online, if you're a Christian, you have a target on your back. And Satan will use those fears we have to work against us. So fear and faith are very similar. If you think about it, fear is sometimes the fear of something in the future that may happen that's bad. Where faith is hoping in something in the future that's good. 
And it's like faith or fear are always pulling us into the opposite directions. And which one are we going to let win? So every situation has that opportunity uh, to lead us, whether it's going to be fearful or faithful. Here's a quote from the psychology today, and I think there's a slide for that. The more real the threat, the more heroic your actions. We react differently to real and imagined threats. Imagined threats cause paralysis. Being scared about all the bad things that may or may not happen in the future makes you worry a lot, but take little action. You are stuck in a state of fear, overwhelmed but not knowing what to do. Real threats, on the other hand, cause frenzy. When the threat is imminent and identifiable, you jump to action immediately and without flinching. This is why people are much more likely to change their eating habits after a serious health scare, like a heart attack, uh, than after just reading statistics about the um, effects of a diet based on fried foods. If you want to mobilize your troops, you have to put yourself in danger. Fears can be as much of an ally as it can be an enemy, and fear of fear can keep you locked in a cage of insecurity. So how do you overcome that? You learn to leverage it. So leveraging your fear, and what does God's word have to say about fear? Because all of us have it at some point, whether it be things we make up in our minds or things that are real and we can identify. So anytime you're faced with fear and overwhelmed with anxiety, learn to leverage that. And also, before we get into um, my points that I've, I've pulled from Scripture, um, and I feel like God has led me to, the very, very first thing, and, and you should write this down if this is something you're dealing with, is pray. I know that's something we talk about all the time, but prayer is the very first thing that you should return to when dealing with anxiety and fear. So let's go to the first um, point here and how we leverage our fears. First John 4.18, uh, we need to realize God's love for us. So many times through the Bible we're told that God loves us, and it's actually God's love that drives out fear. His perfect love casts out fear. I'm going to read this verse for you. This is actually what I would consider my life verse. I know a lot of us have those. Uh, but I want to read this. It says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God's love is perfect, and God's love for us is what drives out fear. Um, that, this is a verse that I've tried to live for many years. Uh, I think I, I was around 15, somewhere around there, when I uh, really felt like this was going to be something that um, was a a push in my life in 1 John 4.18. It was so much that I decided the number 418 or 418 would be my racing number when I was racing dirt bikes. Um, even to this day, that number is still on my dirt bike. And while most people would probably have no idea what that means because there's lots of three-digit dirt bikes out there, uh, that number to me, it has to do with fear um, and God's love for us. But you see, the reason I chose that number Maybe it was a little trivial at the time because I was a teenager and dirt biking was my life. I was afraid on the track a lot. And I needed something to help me get through that. I was afraid of crashing. I was afraid of being injured. Afraid of whatever the possibilities were um, when we were out there racing. But just as many of you worship God with your hobbies, whether that be exercising, I know for Cassie, um, maybe not right now because she's... Um, 
almost 20 weeks pregnant, and I have our time keeping track of the weeks at this point, but it's 19, almost a 20. Um, she's not able to exercise as much, but for her, I know that that is a time where she feels the, one of the closest times to God. She's able to pray while she's running, and maybe some of you can relate to that. I know I don't because I don't like to run and stuff, but exercising maybe is a hobby for you. Uh, but also like gardening. I know some of you garden, and, and just being in God's creation is the way you worship God with your hobbies. Uh, maybe even music. I know a lot of our musicians, that's something they love to do, and they worship God through their hobby. For me, my hobby was dirt bikes, and I wanted to worship God through that, and I used this verse to, to drive me, and I thanked him for the ability that he gave me. And there came a point where ultimately I knew that no matter what happened on the track and what my fears told me could happen, I knew that God loved me and I was okay with whatever happened. Uh, it was God's love that helped me overcome a seemingly trivial fear of racing. And those lessons that I learned, and maybe this silly of an illustration of dirt bike racing, those lessons that I learned have helped me as an adult, though, um, knowing that God loved me and that no matter what happens in this life, His love um, drives out that fear. So no matter if it's raising my children, being able to financially provide for my family, um, or even losing people, I know that God's love is perfect, and that's what drives out the fear. So I trust him when fear is knocking on the door. The second point here is that uh, we realize how we were created. 2 Timothy 1.7. A lot of you know this verse. It's a very popular one. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So this kind of confirms what psychology today was saying, that we're only born with two fears, and 2 Timothy says, yeah, the spirit of fear did not come from God. But he's given us a spirit um, that is of love, power, and self-control. God did not create us with the fear and timidity um, of this world. A good friend of mine, uh, Vince Vickers, I, I know none of you probably know him, um, but at our last church, North Woodbury, he, he was pretty popular among our youth group. Um, I got to know him... I think a year out of high school, um, and at that point, he gave me his story, and uh, he was actually a Christian rapper, um, which at the time I didn't really know any, but I felt like I, was, I knew a celebrity, uh, but he, he was from Mansfield, and Vince is someone who grew up in the foster system. He grew up in the foster system in our county, and he told me lots of the stories that he went through, um, the homes that he had been in, and, and kind of the bad side of the foster system. And then when he got to the point of high school, I think he was a junior in high school, uh, one of his teachers realized what was going on. And I believe, I could be wrong, I think he was a social studies teacher. Um, but at any rate, this man stepped up and said, hey, you know what, just come live with us. And they didn't actually officially adopt him at that point, um, and they never did, but Vince still calls him dad till this day. And that was also about the time he began attending City Church, which is now Storyside. City Church used to be uh, downtown Mansfield. And when he started attending the church with his family that just took him in, who was a teacher in high school, um, that's when he became a Christian and really knowing and trusting um, God with his life. And he said this verse is what helped him get him through all the bad times that he went through. It was that God, the spirit of fear of the unknown of what his life was going to be like, See, at the time his dad had passed away, 
and his mom was in prison. He just thought he was headed in the same direction. But that's not what God's plan was for him. And 2 Timothy 1.7 helped him get through that. Now, Vince, um, it's kind of a success, success story of people um, just putting value on life. Is that now he is married. He has two kids, one kid on the way. And he is climbing the ranks in the army. Um, and he's doing very, very well. A very driven man, um, that is for sure. God restored Vince from what was seemingly going to be a dead-end road, and statistically probably was. He was probably going to be in the um, correctional system or uh, possibly even um, losing his life. But God restored him. He broke the chains of a broken childhood. So everything we're talking about today, all these points, all these things about Scripture, what God provides for us, those are things he provides with the relationship with him. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, these are things that are offered to you through that relationship with him. And if you're here today, I want you to not leave without um, believing in Jesus and also repenting of your sins and living the rest of your life for him. He has a plan for you just like he did for Vince. Not a plan of fear, though, a plan of strength. And then our last thing here is we need to have a higher perspective so that no matter what life throws at us, God is bigger, God is stronger, God is mightier, and he is on our side. So if God is for us, who can be against us? You guys all know that. He takes care of the birds. I got an animal reference in. Uh, so he takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. When you're faced with fear, and it will come, remember that God is bigger than that fear, and God promises to deliver us from that fear. Um, that fear is not from him either. Let's read Hebrews 13, 6. And this, this is another one of the real, these are all like popular verses that um, we're reading this morning. So we can confidently say, the, fear, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, this is one of the verses that I uh, really began to love a few years ago. Um, I'm someone who loves country music, older country music. And if any of you know someone that's nicknamed Sweet Pea Vince Gill, uh, he had a song that says, uh, Threaten Me With Heaven. Um, that song is about this verse here. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Obviously, we live in a great country where even still to this day, we do not face the possibility of death over our faith as other countries do. Obviously, it's a possibility. We see it in the news but not like other countries where they're being um, killed for their faith publicly and it's not even um, being punished um, by their governments. But we still face ego death. We still face the fear of other people. We still face the fear of embarrassment. We face the fear of failure in so many different ways. But having a higher perspective, knowing that we're serving God, and no matter if we do fail, what can man do to me, really? In the light of eternity, man can't do anything as if God could. And then the last verse I want to read here is uh, Psalm 118, verses 5 through 9. It says, Out of my distress I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. There's so many different ways we could go about that. Trusting in the Lord more than man. It could be our government. It could be um, those who are in leadership above us. Put your trust in God, not in man. So what would happen in our homes if we truly leveraged our fear that we faced with and give God control of all those in our homes? It could probably change those very rapidly. We won't have to begin keeping up with the Joneses because fear of looking like we're, we're less than them. We don't have to worry about having the perfect children that we see on the internet um, that actually don't exist. Our marriages will be more focused on each other and not comparing to other couples. And without fear of man, we can begin to introduce peace into our homes that we maybe have never known before. For our church, what would a fearful or a, a fearless um, church family look like? Honestly, for a lot of us, I know we're trying our hardest to do what is right. And I see you doing that. I see you guys trying really hard. I see a lot of you working your hardest to make sure that you are being a good parent to your kids. I see that with the youth group kids. I see it with the kids that are in the children's ministry right now. I know a lot of you are working really hard at doing that. But I also um, know that we might be afraid to tell others of, about God because they don't know, we don't know how they will respond. I see a lot of us that are afraid to dedicate time to serving others because we're not sure how that will affect our schedule. And I know some of us are afraid to trust God with our finances because the bills keep coming and we're not sure if we'll have anything left to give. But ultimately as a church, it's hard to do that. It's hard because we're afraid to submit to God because losing control of our lives, the entirety of our lives, causes us to fear. What would our community look like? Well, we probably have better relationships with our neighbors and maybe there would be more joy in this town than that we wouldn't complain about it so much if we really um, didn't have, we were living fearlessly. Maybe we would be happy more. Others would see it. Maybe more people would see the joy uh, that can, God can bring to our lives. And then in the world, I know a couple that just left here last week that faced a lot of fears with moving their family to another country. So living fearlessly here can affect the whole world. So it can affect all the way down to our homes, our immediate families, our church, our community, the world. I can't say that all of what will happen uh, when we have more faith than fear, because fear overwhelms and blinds and binds us to our situations, but faith will free you. So if you're here today and you feel trapped by fear, whatever that fear is for you, um, because we all face something different, I ask that you pray to God right now and ask for his help in overcoming that fear. As you pray, remind yourself of his love for us. He has a perfect love for us, and that's what casts out fear. And remind yourself as his, of his grace and that he has given us a spirit of strength and power and a sound mind. And then also remind yourself of his power. Have that higher perspective to know that man can't do anything to you, so no need to fear man. God is the one we should fear and have reverence and awe for.